Please pray with me. Loving God, as we seek to walk on your holy way, we ask that you would rekindle joy in us, that it may reign in our lives, and that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may remember six years ago that there was an online video campaign that began called It Gets Better. It was started by syndicated columnist and activist Dan Savage and his partner Terry Miller as a way of reaching out to children who are LGBTQ to let them know that life wouldn't always be a struggle because of their sexual orientation. And it became a, uh, became a movement in which thousands, even hundreds of hundreds and thousands of people participated and made videos, including your senior pastor. People like the president and the secretary of state and columnists and writers all over the world talked about what it was like to grow up in which you felt oppressed or a minority or even bullied. It followed on the heels of several bullying things that had happened across the nation, cyberbullying and places where children were persecuted because of the way they were. People who told these stories remembered the days when LGBT people would gather in pubs or clubs to be together, to get to know one another, and the police would raid them and then list their names in the newspaper, ruining lives and careers. They remembered when Harvey Milk became the first openly gay politician in the country and then was assassinated. They remembered when the HIV epidemic started and the president wouldn't say anything about it and lots of funding that could have been pooled to save people didn't happen till much later and thousands of people died. They remembered the travesty of the don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. And then they remembered just 12 years ago in 2004 when 11 states struck marriage equality and said it could never happen in their states. And then they lived to be to 2013 and 2015 when the Supreme Court overturned all that. It was a message to children in places where they might be bullied or tormented or told they were less than or that they weren't acceptable in God's sight, that they were okay and that it would get better. When I hear this passage from Isaiah today, it is Isaiah's way of saying to the people who have walked in darkness, who have been in captivity of a foreign power, that it will get better. The passage comes at a strange place in Isaiah. He has just talked about the destruction of the nations in graphic terms, and then he creates this beautiful scene of the desert blooming again and walking into a new age. Now, I have to confess to you, I have avoided preaching on the prophetic texts in Advent. I much prefer the beautiful stories of the angels coming and letting Elizabeth and Zechariah know in their old age they're going to have a baby, or coming to Joseph in a dream and telling him it's okay that she's already pregnant, or coming to Mary and saying, guess what, I've got some news for you, or coming to the shepherds and angels and scaring them out of their wits 
and sending them to the stable. Those are the stories we're telling in the chapel on Thursday evenings. I enjoy those stories because they're about real human reactions and surprise. But the message in those stories is the same as the message in Isaiah. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. At some point, you'll be walking on the holy way, and I will be there with you. As I've gone over this passage, which Isaiah is really like an oratorio, an epic poem. In fact, it's used in some of our great choral pieces, and it sometimes speaks for itself. I'd rather we have it set to music. If Ben and I had prepared a little bit more, we would have had him sing it to us. I've been listening to these phrases over and over and thinking about people who have walked on that way, often in despair or sorrow or hate. People like the Cherokees whom Andrew Jackson cast out of their lands east of the Mississippi and they had a trail of tears into the dusty red clay of Oklahoma. Or people like the African-American slaves in the Deep South who sang the songs of their faith while they were picking cotton so that they might keep God alive in the despair. Or people like the Jews of Eastern and Central Europe carted off on buses to a fresh new kind of hell. Or people like the Syrians right now who are spreading out across the globe in treacherous waters and to unwelcome borders. Or even thinking about our LGBT friends now who wonder if the road is going to go backwards. For our Muslim friends who wonder when they will be struck down again. For our undocumented workers who wonder when the hammer is going to drop. For women and minorities who also wonder, are we going backwards on this road? Two months ago, at the invitation of one of our members, I had the opportunity to go see an outdoor exhibit of Doctors Without Borders, telling us what it's like to be a refugee. They held it out on Long Wharf, jutting out there by the Marriott and where the, the ferries go out to the islands and to the Cape. And we entered, and they told us some of the grim statistics about people who've been displaced, refugees, internally displaced people, stateless people. In 1980, that number was about 9 million people. At the end of 2005, it had risen to 21 million. At the end of 2012, 36 million. And at the end of last year, 65 million people. One in out of every 113 people around the globe is currently displaced, a refugee, or stateless. And I wondered how this text might sound to them. When Isaiah says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. God will come again with terrible recompense. God will come and save you. I thought of them and the Cherokees and the slaves in the fields and the people on Nazi death marches saying back to Isaiah, really, when? How soon? Because, Lord, it is hard to see the promised land from here. As we continued on in this exhibit, they had us do an exercise where we had 30 seconds to gather the five most important things to us. 
It could be our pets, our medicine, our money, our passport, our clothing, but only five. And as we continued through the exhibit, we had to give each of these things up as a sort of payment for opportunity. They gathered us in a little inflatable raft that we had to pay either with our passport or money or medicine or something to get into the raft, something that would be comfortable for five to eight people. And they told us that this would normally be filled of 25 to 30 people with a sort of informal latrine in the middle of the raft. The clouds were coming in and it was getting colder and I had wished I had packed my jackets because it was one of those fall days when you can't predict how the temperature will go. And I looked over as we sat in that raft trying to imagine what it must be like for people on the Mediterranean in the seas as they face those waters. And alongside us, there were a lot of Americans and tourists, seemingly well-fed and happy, going out to the Cape and the islands on whale watches. And I wondered about the roads that we each are on. As I know some of you, you are on roads of joy, of peace and love. I also know some of us are on joys of sickness that seems unremitting, joy of sorrow or bad relationships that we can't quite seem to work out. We are on roads of wondering what the future holds with a kind of anxiety. I don't have a solution for that today only to say I want to leave you with this question to think about this week, to wonder where it is that your road intersects with other roads. If you wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to be on a road of joy today, no matter what happens, that you're going to be committed to that, when does your road intersect with someone who is on the road of sorrow? Or the same thing goes if you are on a road of sickness and desperation, wondering when things are ever going to get better, where is the road that will intersect with you to bring you love and compassion? You see, I believe that Isaiah believes that we are always on a road together, but that we should not give up, that we may need to remember even more strongly what it is we are committed to, love, joy, hope, and next week, peace that we keep those alive, that we are bearers of good news and great joy with our lives, if not with our words, that we are a place where love conquers hate, that we are a people who believe that hope takes over despair, that we are a people who believe that joy outlives sorrow, whether we believe it a little or whether we believe it a lot, we take that with us wherever we go. Amen.